The amusement park which you are about to visit illustrates some of the many problems people of my age face on a daily basis. We intend for you to feel the problem, to experience it, and we ask for your sympathy as you watch. And when the film ends, we hope you will have the concerned interest to take action. The supporting players of this film are not actors. They are volunteers, many of whom are actively involved in services to the elderly. The older people in the film are also volunteers who are either concerned enough to give us of their time or who, in real life, are living in institutions, in lower-income housing areas, or in city slums. The time spent in shooting at Westview Park, which facility was donated to the production, was, for some of the elderly players, the only enjoyable time they have had in recent years. Remember, as you watch the film, one day you will be old. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are going to do another Halloween spooktacular episode here. Uh, this is going to be our fourth, or sorry, wait, I think this is our fifth, actually. Uh, let me double check here. Yeah, this is our fifth episode for Halloween. So we are uh, doing them one for uh, every week of the month, like we did last year. And we are going to be looking at the amusement park from 1975 slash 2019 ish, uh, which I'll explain in a in a minute. 2018, 2019, somewhere in that range. Um, this is a movie that was directed by George A. Romero, commissioned by the Lutheran Service Society of Western Pennsylvania. It was an educational film about elder abuse. That was its goal. Um, and the Lutheran Service Society eventually shelved it uh, because they found that it was too dark. Um, uh, Romero's wife uh, and widow, he's, he's died a few years ago, but um, his widow, I believe, stated that the Lutherans had shown it for a little while, maybe in whatever purposes they were using it for, um, but then it was quickly shelved. Um, so a little bit of uh, background. Well, I, I guess I'll say, uh, you know, anyone listening to the podcast should likely know this, but George A. Romero is a famous, very famous horror director, directs some other things outside of horror, but mostly his career was confined to horror. And uh, some of his prominent movies, he did the Dead series or Living Dead series, whatever you want to call it. So starting with 1968's Night of the Living Dead, then Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, and then kind of the offshoot movies, Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. The vampire movie Martin, uh, he did a movie in the 70s called The Crazies. He worked as like a, in a producing and writing capacity for Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Um, he directed and produced and wrote, I believe, elements of Creepshow. And again, wrote and produced elements of Creepshow 2. Tales from the Dark Side, incidentally, a lot of people kind of consider a creep show three based on some of the talent that was involved, like Romero and Stephen King, and uh, I think Tom Savini was on all of those. He also directed The Dark Half and various other films, uh, both in horror and a few outside of it. The amusement park itself premiered at the American Film Festival in New York City, but it was never widely released. 
It had a budget of $37,000, so you know, pretty small for what it was. It's only an, it's, it's under an hour. It's like 53 minutes. Um, and this movie was believed to be lost until 2017 when a print was found and it was restored into 4K. And then it later received a limited release in theaters and it currently streams on Shudder. So uh, anyone who's a big film fan knows that there are movies out there that are like, you know, lost gems or people build them up to be lost gems and things that have disappeared, have been thought to be destroyed and stuff. We've mentioned a couple recently on the show. Um, London After Midnight was the, uh, um, oh, what's the, David, help me. What's the director's name? Todd Browning, right? Freaks director. Freaks is Todd Browning, yeah. Freaks, Todd yeah. Browning, okay, yeah. Uh, Todd Browning, uh, so London After Midnight is a famous lost film with Lon Chaney. We talked about it on the Freaks episode, and Freaks, the full cut of Freaks, unfortunately, is lost to the sands of time. But uh, check your basement, check your attics, uh, find something amazing for all of us, and also get thousands of dollars or millions of dollars for your efforts. Um, but yeah, so there's those kind of movies that have been lost in some way a studio throughout the tapes there's a fire whatever the case was and this was a something where this was never meant to be theatrically released i would say a lot of people didn't know about it if you're a hardcore horror fan i'm sure some people have heard about it i myself am a pretty big horror fan i never knew about this i will ask my panelists if they had known anything about this prior to but i literally didn't hear anything about it until it popped up in theaters um like a year or so back but anyway, so this is one of those kind of like lost gems that's been hanging out there and for certain audiences like, oh, could we ever get to see that? And then somewhere they found it. It was some retrospective thing from the early 2000s of like Romero stuff. So it must have like been in a box with shit that they got a hold of. And then, you know, nearly 20 years later, they discover like, oh, what? Oh, we have this. And then they sent it to his widow and then that got the ball rolling into getting it released, cleaned up, and then released. All right, so that's kind of the background of uh, what this is about. We'll dive into the plot and some of the production and everything. I will introduce my panelists here. We've got both uh, horror junkies who have been on many of our episodes, and I believe both these gentlemen have seen this film before. I think you both saw it in the theaters, right, when it came out? Uh, yep. No, I watched it on Shutter, but about okay, around the time Shutter. that it was put on theaters, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, this is a first time for me, so I was coming to it cold. Um, but uh, yeah, so we've got Eric joining us here to uh, look at this film on elder abuse. Hello. One of my favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've got uh, David here joining us as well uh, to uh, ruminate on horror as he loves to do. Hello. All right. So uh, not a whole lot else in terms of background stuff to dig into on this one. Um, there aren't any, like, famous people in it. Um, I have a note about the central actor I can mention later. But um, there's there's not any stars. This is not. This was never, like I said, never theatrically released, never intended to be theatrically released. So it doesn't have any kind of, like, cult following or, you know, there's nothing about it. The, the main thing about it was that this was made, kind of put away, believed to be gone, and has now been recovered. So uh, we'll just dive right into this. What do we make of the amusement park? So 
I saw it over at the Music Box when they showed, they had like two, maybe three showings over a weekend, and I went with a couple of friends, and it started, it, one, it was really cool, it had like uh, some added stuff at the back end of uh, Romero's Widow, um, a Romero Scholar, and a, um, and one of the people involved in the uh, restoration uh, chatting about it, but during the movie, we start off. We're going in cold, like we know that like, we know the bare bones of it. We go in, and at first, the movie starts off, and it's kind of weirdly shot, and we're like, hey, "This is funny. This is kind of weird." And then, and then, like ten minutes in, me and my friends are like, "This isn't funny. <laughs> it's not like scary. It just makes me sad. This movie makes me really sad." Why are other people laughing? This is not okay. <laughs> so that's my opinion of this movie. I'm just like, it's well done. I, I loved some of the uh, shots and stuff. Some of the things, some of the choices were definitely choices that were made for some reason. But watching it, I'm like, I'm, I'm sad now. It's a good movie, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, I, I almost like it as a horror movie oh, and all oh, those are really count quite as a movie but it's a pretty awesome PSA and I just I love the idea of how he was just kind of given this project to do and kind of did too good of a job so they just like got rid of it it's like if Todd Salance was told to do like a corporate sexual harassment video or something and they were just like yeah this looks really good but what's the matter with you like you, you know <laughs> I, just, I just love that idea and yeah like it definitely works and you you do really feel bad for old people when you watch this movie it's a lot of it really really gets to you and some of it is silly because it's it wasn't his script so i think whoever wrote it was probably involved with the lutheran society and a lot of it's really like uh, on the nose and stuff like that but the way it's shot definitely uh makes you feel <laughs> certain things so yeah it it wasn't his script um the the person who I, I didn't jot it down but the person wasn't like linked out so i eric you're probably right that it was probably someone internal or someone who like locally in pittsburgh or something had worked on you know maybe some like low-level productions or something it, it's odd though because like while i would i would agree with you that romero definitely amps it up in the visuals and in the intensity like there's still some just like kind of horrific concepts that are at play like a, a different director could have made it like more sad than it is horrific and i think uh romero amps it up in this like david lynchian way at certain <laughs> points but yeah, there's still some stuff that's in there. So I, I wonder if maybe Romero had a hand in the script and just isn't credited or changed some stuff around. Just because some of the set pieces just seem to lean into horror in this kind of dreamlike horror. Whereas if it was just like some Lutheran dude like, oh, I want to do a PSA that this is bad. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't seem like it would make some of the choices that it did. But uh, back to the question that I had at the top. Had either of you ever heard of this until no. recently? It nope. wasn't until it got announced for uh, uh, Shutter slash uh, limited theatrical release that I heard about it. Yeah, and yeah, I, I was think, like, woohoo! Yeah, well, I think the first the, the way I heard about it, I think you posted to me that you were 
going into it, like you took a shot of the theater or something and you mentioned like, you know, going in to see Romero's lost film. And I'm like, excuse me, what is this? <laughs> and so then I had to look it up to see what was going on. Um, so that's what put it on my radar. Um, so this has been one. I mean, this is like tailor made for what we try to do on the show is and, and this one has, you know, gotten some press and everything and people are aware of it because of it being on shutter and and you know like horror sites and everything so i mean we're not like discovering anything here but it is the kind of thing of what this show tries to do is you know bring to light oddities and things you would never know about or hear about otherwise so when i heard that romero had you know this lost film in a way again never intended to be a theatrical film it plays a bit different than if it were a theatrical film it's under an hour and technically speaking if it's under an hour it's not like a feature as far as like you know oscar rules and that kind of shit so uh so this wouldn't be a feature film or a short i guess it would be a long but um this uh yeah i mean uh, it for me it was definitely an interesting watch I haven't watched all of Romero's stuff, but I'd probably watch 75 to 85% of it. So it was cool to see something by him that I'd never heard of and something like from kind of a key point in his career. Cause this is, as I said, 1975 was the release. So this was uh, seven years after Night of the Living Dead. And this is right around when he was doing The Crazies and Martin, and it predates Dawn of the Dead, which is 78. Um, and then Day of the Dead, I think, was 85. So this is kind of like, you know, this is this is him prior to Dawn, which is arguably his best film. I mean, it, Night or Dawn, a lot of people would probably be split on. Um, so it's, it's kind of him at a, like, strong point in his career. As a film, I haven't really addressed any of that, but I'll, I'll throw out that it's um, it has kind of a surrealist, absurdist approach. So what, I mean, we'll dive into specifics, but the basic idea is we have this older guy who is, uh, I think uh, I think he's like 70 when uh, he gives us this introduction and he's the main actor. And then we go, and it's a very PSA thing, talking about age and ageism and... Um, and things of that nature and he's he's introducing you he's standing in an amusement park that's like there's nobody else around he's introducing you to the film the movie starts now we're within the fictional narrative and it's basically this elderly character in like a fun fair an amusement park but it's all distorted and changed where like the rides are different things and they're representative of parts of life and you have all these younger people like children or teens or 20s to 40s and like so you know younger and healthier people and whatever and then there are elderly characters throughout and so you see him and other elderly characters suffering from you know physical issues suffering from monetary issues suffering from like society ignoring them or being prejudiced against them and so you kind of just watch that be unleashed upon this one central character for the duration of it in a very nightmare surreal absurdist way and like i said lynchian i think certain parts uh play very much like things that david lynch does in some of his works so yeah that's what i would uh do as kind of an intro for myself 
Um, I enjoyed it. And where do we want to go from here? I I found it really interesting. Uh, the guy mentions at the beginning, you can kind of tell, but it gives it a... The movie has a strange feel, not just uh, in production and all of that, but the fact that uh, the main actor is the only actor in the movie. Everyone in it is just community members. And um, mm-hmm. there isn't that much uh, actual... There's not much dialogue or anything like that beyond him. But he starts it off saying that, you know, like, even going into it, he mentions the old people in this movie, even though the movie depicts very upsetting things, this was the high point of their year and the only time they've gotten to do anything fun. Which only underscores just how, like, the scene later uh, with the uh, couple and the running back and forth out to a payphone. I'm like, that was, that harrowing scene was her high point for the, oh. Just in a meta-narrative type way, I'm like, this is so sad. Well, Eric, or uh, sorry, David, uh, Eric, it's like when you and I went to see Big Fish on Broadway (laughs) some years back. And uh, there was this old gentleman who was there with, like, I don't know if it was, like, his son or daughter. I think he's there with a couple other people. But he was, like, probably in his 80s. He seemed kind of frail. He was coming Mm -hmm. out to go to see Big Fish. He was going to see a Broadway show. You know, it was, like, afternoon show or whatever he went to. And uh, he was, like, a thin dude. And he was having trouble, like, kind of getting around. And so we were trying to take our seats, and he was in front of us and moving, like, slowly, which we didn't care. It was totally fine. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing had started or whatever. But he felt self-conscious. Um, and he was like, it's like, oh, sorry, because it was, like, taking a while to get to a seat. And he says, uh, he looks at us, and in, in this, like, a, an old man joke kind of way, says, don't get old, kids. And I just, like, have nothing to say to that other than I was, like, I had to, like, come back with a quip. I was, like, well, it's better than the alternative. And, uh, and then we continued on with our Broadway show. Um, but that's that's much of what this movie is, is watching a lot of sad sequences. Um, but played in very interesting ways. Yeah. Um, on the actor, I'll throw this out now uh, since you mentioned him, David. So Lincoln Manzel is the only like actor in it, and so he introduces the film and closes it. He's the main guy throughout it. I looked him up. It doesn't look like he had many credits. I think he was he got into acting late, like in his fifties or something. I think he did more like local Pennsylvania Broadway, or Pennsylvania theatrical productions and things. But he was also in Martin from George Romero. Um, and he talks about how in the beginning, how he's going to be 70, like next month or something and talking about kind of the, the perils of age and things like that. That dude lived to be 106 years old. He was a spring fucking chicken when they shot this. Damn. (laughs) Yeah. I looked him up. He died in like, it was like 2006. So uh, I did look him up, but I just thought just to look at his. I didn't see. I assumed he was dead. I just didn't look at his his death. Jesus Christ! Yeah. good on him. Damn, he was a part of this movie, and then he was like, "Fuck it, that's not going to happen to me." He I'm probably outlived a lot of the a lot of the characters that were giving him shit the whole movie. Like, 
yeah, yeah, likely did. All right, so what, uh, any specific sequences we want to touch on here? So at the very beginning, when they're in the white room, they start off in the white room, and it's the old man who's bleeding, beat up, looking away, um, and not wanting to talk to the main, to the main character, old man, who's like, Who's like, I'm going to go out there. No, there's well, nothing I, out there for you. Well, I, I, the, it, I think it's important to note they're the same person. Yeah. Well, I'm that, saying like the the first time I saw it in the theaters, I didn't catch that they were the same person. Oh, okay. Um, and which made the ending hit a little bit weird or harder for me because I'm like, at the beginning, I'm like, oh, oh, nothing good's going to happen out there. Look at this poor guy. And then... Uh, yeah, I I missed that at the my first time. Are you saying, time saying all it. old white men look the same to you, David? <laughs> yes. I would well, like it to be noted. Kicked out of them, yeah. I'd like it to be noted that they're wearing the identical costume, though. They're dressed up. They're both dressed up like Colonel Sanders. They're wearing just like an all white suit, and one's in like a pristine suit, and the other one's like beat to hell. Um, but is the, is the beat up one wearing a head bandage or is that Mandela effect <laughs> yeah, I, right now? Yeah, I, I, no, 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 no. He's, he's, got, a, he's got a bandage. Yeah. He has okay. a small head bandage and some blood marks on him. I, <laughs> yeah. It's not like the shot was centered on his, oh, the shot was centered on his face. You know, <laughs> <It was. laughs> <laughs> you got right up in there. <laughs> I will say though, there, there's a little bit of a disconnect and maybe this threw you off a little bit. I'll, I'll give you some credit. The opening with the guy who is the same actor who gives the introduction, he has a goatee. But in the film, he has a mustache, and I'll talk about it later. But that those that opening and closing was actually filmed later as a separate thing. So he must have maybe normally he wore a goatee or something, or he just grew it out. But so that creates kind of like a, wait a second, is this a different old white man? Uh, or yeah. is this the, the same actor? Um, I didn't no, notice it the him. first time that the, the dude in the introduction was the same guy. Yeah. It was when I rewatched it. I was like, oh, this is the, okay. But yes, yeah, sorry, David, you were saying, so uh, so they, the, a, a, a younger, you know, hours younger version of, of one of the old man talks to an hours later version of the same one. Yeah, it's, uh, it's also, there, I know it's a PSA, and I know that it doesn't really have much of a narrative. It's this weird cyclical thing with the white room. It gets mentioned in the outro bit. Um, you know, one day you'll be in the white room and you'll have <laughs> to go out to the amusement park. But I, I, what a strange way to start this movie off. And the entire movie does have uh, this surrealist bent to it that I did not expect. But as soon as he steps out of that, and you've got low camera angles, people shuffling around, you're seeing like people's feet move around. It's disorienting, and uh, all of that. I was just like, like it's silent in the white room. As soon as he opens that door, it's the din of a very busy carnival, and uh, it was jarring, uh, disorienting, mm-hmm. and enjoyable. <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple lines early on um, that uh, sum up some of what they're trying to get across and also are like, oh, oh dear, um, which is like the beaten up old man says to the, you know, the, the fresh old man, there's nothing outside. 
you won't like it um and it's like it said in this just like utter despair because like the the fresh old man's like i'm gonna go out there i'm gonna see the world and go do stuff don't you want to do stuff and the other guy's like no no (laughs) i hate it um there's just like this sadness there but even in the opener um when the guy is giving the like opening of the psa there's one part where he says you too will one day be old. And it's like, <laughs> I know you don't have to tell me that. <laughs> I didn't forget. Uh, sometimes I forget. Um, I guess, so the fir- I think the first, uh, I guess, bit that really hit me was um, they do, uh, there's like bumper cars. And yeah. I-, I guess uh, an old lady hits a young man with her bumper car and he gets out and he's you know yelling about it and she's like she's like no no he, he put his turn signal on the wrong way and then he made a left turn and blah 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 and he's like no no that's not true you old lady you gotta learn how to drive and blah 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 and then like the cop comes along and he's like all right i'll settle this and then like you know it, it's starting to look like they're just not gonna believe the old lady because she's old and it's like damn this scene is really actually probably how it would go down in real life and it's like it's like sad but true and it's like if i was that young guy like he probably knows he's in the wrong but can still get away with just blaming it on this old lady anyway and then and then like the main character comes along and he's like i saw the whole thing and the cop's like okay let me get your statement hey says here is supposed to be wearing glasses and it's just like oh see that old guy isn't wearing glasses can't believe him either and it's like oh shit (laughs) so i yeah that, that was a pretty good scene early on that wasn't like two on the nose but i still felt like oof like that that's probably very real life type of shit that actually happens and they're just doing it with bumper cars and then uh i did like how it called back to that oh i I was just gonna add uh so they the whole movie kind of plays with this surrealism and they they bring in an actual cop even though they're like a bumper car ride and there's a cop who's taking their you know writing stuff down I feel like it would have been a little bit stronger if it had just been, like, a ride operator, but they had him dressed up like he was, like, more like a uniform. Like, it was, like, part of the mm-hmm. fair if he had had yeah. kind of, like, a military look, like, as part of, you know, they, they called the ride something that made it look, you know, why he'd be the captain or some shit. Uh, I think it would have been stronger if they, you know, kind of, like, blurred the line a little bit instead of just... Because the movie doesn't seem to do that much else where reality encroaches on in on the fantasy so right. I don't know. I'm gonna disagree. All right. I disagree. Okay, okay, that's it. No, no, no. Um, because another part of it is when they bring in the uh, the insurance man, which in in the realm of a bumper cars uh, okay. idea, yeah. there's no way to bring that in. Well, they it could be it could in... be like a manager or something. But yeah, good. But yeah, the because uh, uh, I think the big part of the insurance one that I liked was. Um, the cops very much saying, "Well, I didn't see the accident, so I'm just going to let your insurance uh, battle it out, which is how that works." And um, and then the insurance guy is like, "We are going to re- represent you, but you should know we're going to make your rates go up quite a bit because of this." And she's like, "But it's not our fault." And it's like, "Well, the rates are going to go up," and like it tied it back into the financial difficulty of old people fairly well. 
and then also I do li- I did like that uh, the movie does tie in back in with this later on as he's walking he sees a uh, he sees a horse ride no license needed and it's uh, the old man I believe it's the old man from this couple on a horse with his wife who is driving like leading it along a uh, solid track I think it was the same couple but okay. then again I yeah and I, and I missed the I significance like, of that moment but that would make sense if it was them yeah because it was just oh oh they lost their licenses or their insurance or something has uh, now this on fender horses. bender <laughs> yeah this fender bender has made it so that they can no longer uh, um, they can no longer drive also the signs I really like throughout there's signs on all the rides because uh like before the roller coaster one, before the bumper cars, uh, even the restaurant scene, there's all the signs that are done up like carnival signs, but they uh, are very specifically geared towards uh, ageism and that kind of thing. Like there's one that's like, uh, you cannot suffer from any of these maladies. You uh, cannot, it's like you must have to ride this ride, you must have an income above this much per year. Things like that. Like, it was just throughout, there's those background things. um, That carnival jolly fonts and all that hand-painted. Yeah. A very very (laughs) prisoner-esque. All right, other uh, sequences that uh, caught our eye. There was one quick one that, I think it was just after the cars, where he's sitting down... And he, like, sees some children and he beckons them over. And then this other random dude points them out from far away and he's like, Hey, you pervert, like, get away from those kids. And I was thinking, like, is that how old people are treated? Like, I... Yeah. It's, so was here's, it... here's here's the what that moment was odd for me. And I, I mean, it, it plays fine in the film. But yeah, what, what Eric's saying is he's just, like, trying to, like, be friendly some, like, kids who are at this fair... And, yeah, some, like, 40-year-old dude or whatever starts yelling at him and calling him a pervert. That plays very well today and makes yeah. a lot of sense. But this movie was 1975. Yeah, I was thinking, like... Me, that surprised yeah. me that that... I mean, that would be that early because, you know, you think about... You know, you hear stories or you st- see stuff in, in old media or whatever where elderly people or even just older people people in authority doctors priests uh you know police like oh you trust them and i mean granted that's it might be more of a 1940s 1950s early 1960s so this is a post vietnam post watergate america so you might have more cynicism from people and plus like serial killers had been around and everything for a while so it we might have been on the cusp where it was more like Hey, a guy with some kids. I don't know. Is he going to murder those kids? Whereas I feel if it was like right. 1962, it'd be like, oh, look at that gentleman with those whipper yeah. snappers. So I, I was a little surprised by it, but it probably is culturally accurate for, I mean, they filmed it then. Um, yeah. or, or Romero was just a little ahead of it. Like maybe mm-hmm. it was like, a, maybe sometimes you would get that yeah. kind of accusation, but but it wasn't like prevalent, but he used it because yeah. it's like, oh, well, sometimes people will like think an old man or somebody is like doing something negative. So I don't know. It, it did surprise me though for the era. Yeah. 
Although later he sits down and reads a a book out of the blue to some, to some little girl and her mom just like sits there and doesn't even acknowledge him. That scene uh, was the most heart wrenching. I mean, oh, that I was horrible for me. Like we'll get to that, but like I think that's like basically right at the end. But um, yeah, there was also a quick bit like I think it was right around the time with the kids where like it just flashes to the merry-go-round and you just see death sitting on one of the horses and it just quickly yeah. like. <laughs> I was like, okay. You also see death in the crowd at one point. Um, yeah. You also see death on the um, on the roller coaster. Oh, I didn't see notice death. That. Yeah, and then um, when things empty out before the bikers, which we'll get to eventually, uh, you see death in the uh, way far background, just yeah. walking. Um, I really like the death bits because they don't do anything for the. Uh, they're not part of the narrative. Yeah. It's just death, and death does nothing in the entire movie. He but like it's always there, <laughs> but he's just there in the background occasionally. Yeah, and you barely and, notice it. But <laughs> yeah, it just wow that that guy's got a weird green face. Like that, I barely saw for a second. Like uh, yeah, on the roller coaster, I believe you see him twice, like uh, or two shots of him. And the first shot, I was like, that was weird. Second shot, I'm like, the fuck is that? <laughs> like, that's definitely something. And by the time he showed up again, I was just like, oh, no. Oh, no, Death's going to claim this guy by the end. And no, it's worse. It's just Death is always nope. around. He's always around. Oh, this movie's uh, upsetting. <laughs> it's probably one of those subtly brilliant moves that got this project just, like, shelved. Cause just like... You know, George, we didn't need you to add to death stuff. <laughs> like, I thought it'd be cool. Yeah. George, we've had 18 seniors commit suicide upon watching this. Oh, also, um, all right. So it starts off. There's the line of seniors having to sell their stuff for between. And the guy, the guy buying the stuff is treating them like a five below store. Yeah, uh, it, it's here's a silver watch. I'll give you five bucks. Here, here, here's this family heirloom. Like one of his lines is literally, "Listen, this may have sentimental value for you, but it doesn't for me. I'll give you five <laughs> bucks, or you can walk." And then someone's like, he offers one guy one buck for something, and the guy like, and the guy's just like, I, "This thing's worth at least fifteen And he goes. You know, you can uh, take the one dollar. You can leave it. What do you need more? And gives him the dollar. And it's just, oh, oh man, it, it's it's played up. In, you know, it's staged as this weird people taking their stuff up to someone who's. I mean, it, the guy is a ticket vendor. He is selling tickets to some people and taking and buying stuff off of other people. And and it's just straight up showing they're going to be taken advantage of, and they have zero options about it. Yeah, it's like antiques roadshow for assholes. Yeah, it was just oh, and I felt for the little old lady. <laughs> it was like her husband's clock or something. Yeah. That um also, I mean, when it comes to that. They did a good job throughout that of just showing the, uh, showing how finances and treatment and finances, public treatment and being invisible 
and all of that all tie together. Um, I, like when he bought food and he bought all the food he needed, but then no one would help him and they couldn't, like, they didn't notice he was tapping them or anything. And so he ended up having to put down all the groceries he had just bought. So now he's out all that money and he took, uh, like a milk and a sandwich because that's all he could carry as an old man. No one would help him or anything like that. And I was just like, like, and throughout throughout the movie and it's really pronounced right then but throughout the movie people just ignore his presence unless it's to be mean to him yeah. so in that case uh, he's literally grabbing people's shirts and they're walking off And ugh. one thing I liked uh, I mentioned that he's wearing a Colonel Sanders suit throughout it so it's an old man with white hair white mustache which, incidentally, if you watch this on Shudder, the poster for this has his face, and they've, like, kind of distorted his face, so inside of his head is, like, his, his eyes make part of a merry-go-round or a carousel with, like, the horse, uh, the horses are, like, the eyes, and then you can, like, kind of see into his head with some of it. It's just a really cool and effective poster, and I wonder if Shudder had that made, or... Because I, I can't imagine that when this was put up at the Lutheran society, <laughs> they made up a poster, let alone that one. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a really effective one. So I don't know where that came from, but, um, but anyway, so the guy's uh, white hair, uh, you know, white mustache, all white suit. So one thing I like, and that was a really smart choice on Romero's part. He goes through hell throughout the movie and at mo- numerous parts ends up being like on the ground from a couple things like that happen, uh, you know, physical altercations and stuff. So not only is he like physically beat up and has he's bleeding and he has like a bandage on his head and stuff, but the suit is just filthy at the end. And so that was a deliberate choice to really highlight that of to like make what is internal external on this character. And I thought that was really solid. And it starts off like at the second he leaves the white room, a lady does not see him. Uh, he's, you know, bewildered by everything around. This lady doesn't see him, bumps into him, spills her drink on him, and then yells at him. Yeah. Like, it just, the second he enters the amusement park, he's already, uh, like, he's already marred. Yeah. But there was another thing where it was just, like, right off the bat, she, like, bumps him, and then she's like, watch where you're going, and it was just like, I don't know if I've ever seen an old person treated that way either. Like, if I if an old person bumped into me or I bumped into them, then just like, I can't imagine just like going off on them like that. Like, I don't know who would, but Jesus. I'm. I live in. I love Chicago. It's wonderful here, but I mean, people get treated poorly. Um, yet you occasionally see shit like that. Uh, you know, sometimes you see things uh, on a train or something where it's it's just, and it ends up being just people being like, "Yo, leave them alone," but mm-hmm. people just yelling at people and shit, and it's yeah. it's, it's not cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I I definitely can see and recognize the like ageism aspects and like the kind of greater societal aspects of how you know medical care and attention and you know money and food all of that made more sense to me the physical stuff it, yeah it's 
and, and or people just being like outright shitty i'm i understand where you're coming from eric because like i don't question that it exists i'm sure it does there's plenty of horrible people out in the world but just like thinking for myself like i can't and you know maybe it's just that i'm not a horrible person but uh but i mean i just can't remember like coming across an old person like even if i was like irritated by something and just being like well fuck you lady <laughs> yeah. like i mean like the other day i don't know i was like going into like a chinese restaurant and i was like kind of behind some older lady walking up the walkway and i uh so i went kind of like around and i was fine with her going ahead of me but she was just like taking a while and i was just i was gonna wait and she was like oh go ahead i'm slow and i was like oh you know either way it's fine you know like and i i opened the door and like held it for her and stuff but like i wouldn't have cared like if she you know took an extra five seconds to get in there but yeah i'm I'm sure there are people who would just be like, you know, out of the way. Yeah. You know, who knows? But that's yeah, kind of I, what this movie does a lot. Yeah. Uh, Eric? Yeah, because I, I was just saying that, yeah, I, I've definitely seen, like, people be frustrated, like, if they're stuck behind an old person moving slow and, you know, they're in a hurry and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but it's like, but yeah, you still, like, you know you can't, like, admonish them publicly because then people would be like, what's the matter with you? It's kind of like, you know, yelling at a little kid for like bumping into you you know it's just like you can't and eric lives uh, in new york yeah <laughs> um, I will yell yeah at i don't doubt kid. that it's happened but yeah <laughs> it takes a, a truly shitty person to just like yell at an old person for bumping into them but uh david you will yell yeah. at a little kid yeah I, mean, I i will treat the old people wonderfully but i will <laughs> yell at a little kid I was real tempted a few years ago when uh, I was walking into The Last Jedi and uh, a child is coming out with his father and saying, I liked the part where Luke Skywalker and I immediately clapped my hand over my ear and started going, it's like, and I thankfully did not hear whatever the rest of that sentence was. But uh, if I had, then uh, might have had some problems. <laughs> Uh, you've heard it here first, though. Linton would punch a, punch a baby over Star Wars spoilers. Well, you were going to do it just for fun. I never said for fun. You gave no reason which would imply for fun. <laughs> but no. The, there is a lot of just straight-up violence towards uh, the elderly in, here, in this movie. But... I mean, on the one hand, I I don't think someone's gonna come out of a uh, of a fortune teller tent and punch an old man in the street and walk off. On the other hand, nobody like it works well in the um, with it works well with the uh, premise that nobody actually sees the old people in this. Mm -hmm. Like, they do see them, but no one pays attention to them or anything like that, so... And then, and, and then also, like, this kind of idea of, like, younger people are always frustrated with you when you're in their space and causing, like, you know... Yeah. Like, that, that's a real thing, too, even though, like, most of them are just polite enough not to, like, make a big deal of it. Um, it's sort of like that idea just kind of taken to an awful conclusion. <laughs> Ooh, also the uh, the the hassle aspect of it, like you just you know the people being frustrated with you that you just mentioned, when he's hurt and goes to the first aid place, he walks up and says, 
er, and they're like we've already established that all the old people have um, a fixed income in this movie. We've already established that, or like he gets robbed at one point. He's lost money on buying things that he couldn't keep. All of this is going on, and then he goes up there, and the guy's like, and he's like, "I have insurance." When the guy asks him to pay, and the guy goes, "Insurance is so much paperwork. Just pay cash." And and he's just he's bleeding, actively bleeding, and he's like, oh, "But but it's like just pay cash," and hands the money to over uh, because that'll get him seen. And it's just, again, oof, that is just, this worker does not care and does not want to go through the slight effort. So another avenue for this, uh, for our protagonist. Yeah. 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 I mean, unless you view the elderly as the antagonist, David. <laughs> no, I do not. Um, oh. So yeah, on on the physical stuff, so one element that leads to that is he goes into a fortune teller tent and a young couple goes in as well and they're all bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, like, we want to see if we're going to be together forever. And so they go in and the fortune teller's like, I will show you the future, but I will show you all the future. And they're like, cool. <laughs> and uh, then they basically the fortune teller doesn't show them all the future just shows them like one horrible vignette um which is like the the young guy now elderly it's sick in bed and his wife desperately trying to get him care and that's the guy who storms out later and just decks our main old man just for being old because they they had noticed him like come into the tent um that sequence plays pretty well, but I, I will say I, I was a little surprised. They focused on these young people who we hadn't seen before, and it was probably an idea to, like, all right, we want to get a, a couple in here and show how age affects, like, couples and not just a single guy that we're focusing on with him. But I was surprised, like, he pops his head in like he's going to, like, do it as well, and then he just randomly leaves. I, I think it would have been effective for the fortune teller to show him his future, and I don't just mean like death. I mean, well, you, you're reacting to Veed, but like, but what is that future? Yeah, that's, it's, it's, that was my question. Well, but it's not just death, though. We've yeah. seen all these other things that have happened to him. So like he could be in hospice. He could be in an old age home. There's like all kinds of things that they could show you. Again, the sequence would have to be set up differently. But I was surprised that they kind of tease you with that, that he's going to like view this and then he just walks away. So that was a little disappointing for me. Not that I like looking to see even more sad shit, but it seemed like the movie was taking you up to that of like, oh, well, that's what's going to happen next. And then it doesn't. And it didn't seem there to be any reason for why he just left that tent. He wasn't like scared. He wasn't like, oh, shit, all of it. Nope, I'm out. He just kind of like, oh, I guess they're doing it. I'll go somewhere else now. I'll go to this nice bench. That... I was surprised by that sequence. Like, I did expect him to interact with it more, one, two. It, it surprised me that all of a sudden we had a sequence that was still focused on old people and how horribly the elderly are treated, but instead of it being, uh... Instead of it being metaphor of this uh, amusement park, it's just a, no, this is, we are now in the real world. 
we are going to show you this couple. And it's a little vignette, a little like five, ten minute movie within the movie with a completely different uh, cast, basically. And it was, uh, um, and there's so much packed into it from the news interviewing the owner of the building outside who is straight up like, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not upkeeping this apartment. They barely pay any rent. Well, legally you have to. It's like, I'd love to if they paid more rent. Um, to the lady not having a phone and having to run out to call her doctor, um, who is, which I found interesting. She's asking for a house call, which was barely a thing, I think, by the uh, 70s. Yeah, I, yeah like, I don't think it would have been very common. Yeah, that, that barely existed, probably not at all in a big city like that. Uh, but she's asking for a house call. And they show the doctor, he, his, the doctor is dressed kind of skeezy, or at least that's what I got from his, like, mustache and his jacket and all that, and, um, but also, he's just really busy there. Like, she, he gets on the phone and he is seeing several patients in his, uh, office who are all dressed better than the elderly in this, so it's like, uh, kind of a mix between classism and uh, the fact that the doctor is very busy in his office so he can't do a house call mm-hmm. and while watching that I, I realized like you had, you you had just mentioned house hospice and that kind of thing I mean all of that costs a ton of money um, I know so yeah all that costs a ton of money I believe I was just talking to someone recently whose friend um is working out of like their mom's room just to make sure their their mom's being taken care of because it's a new thing and they're not like trusting of the hospital hospice and um i don't like how much was assisted living and all that back, uh how how prevalent was it back then compared to now because i'm watching that going these this couple uh this guy like the husband of that couple is writhing in pain in a in a bed that is basically a cot there's pills there he cannot communicate his wife is trying to deal with it and she has she has enough dimes to make two phone calls and then no one will give her a dime for a third and it's just can they afford going to the hospital can they afford hospice care if he got put into hospice how would she pay her rent if she didn't go with him, but she's not going to be able to go with him? There's all those questions. Like, that five minutes really hit me because I was just like, there's so much packed into that. Into that little bit. And it was... Yeah. God damn, that was... It was a tight five minutes from... Uh, <laughs> that, that was the it, most it was, unfunny tight, type five. Yeah, it was a tight five on elder abuse. <laughs> <laughs> and that one wasn't even elder abuse. It's just the way life can be. Yeah. Like, no one was actively hurting them. Well, the landlord was actively hurting them. Um, but, yeah. Another uh, sequence is all the people in the park temporarily disappear at one point, and bikers show up. And this was a kind of bizarre, surreal sequence, even for the film because the bikers show up and just start beating him up 
very Alex and his droogs from Clockwork Orange, kind of just out of nowhere and for no reason. And it didn't, unless I missed something, it didn't seem to be connected to like a larger metaphor. And I was like waiting for it. It's like, is this the bikers of senility? Like what, what are the, what are they representing? What's the monster that these, but then it's like, so they like beat the fuck out of them and death is like hanging out back there. And then it like flashes or whatever and everybody's back and he's beat up and he's still alive. So it just seems like it's this odd kind of vignette. And I don't know if they're supposed to represent actual just physical violence that can befall old people. If it's just be specific to like bikers because it's the seventies and people were like with uh, with like Altamont and shit, like people were more like, Oh, hell's angels. Those guys will kill you. Like I, I don't know. I don't, the the bikers thing seems random to me, but maybe there's a cultural context for it. I don't know. I yeah, I wouldn't have thought so either. Like I would think, yeah, you're right. Especially with everyone disappearing, and it feels like this is a separate like dream state within this dream state of a film. You're right. You think that that was supposed to represent something else? Because it can't just be bikers. If they're just, unless they're saying bikers will randomly come up to old people and beat the shit out of them, which I don't think they do but they might <laughs> maybe there was a problem in pittsburgh i don't know <laughs> um the most the most interesting part of that like yeah i had the, all the same confusions you have like why is this happening this doesn't really flow well and, and i'll also say that when i'm raising these things it didn't affect my enjoyment negatively i i didn't i don't think it it hurt the movie and made me think this is bad it was more just especially since so much is like surreal and absurdist it's more me trying to figure out like all right well, what is this choice trying to do that's all with that okay so the bikers are riding up they're laughing they stop their bikes and then it cuts to them off of their bikes then and it these are all still frames it's bikers on bikes bike bikers off bikes bikers several feet forward bikers several feet forward and now we're back into uh actual rolling film of them beating them up and I, I was very confused by that choice like the uh the still images instead of showing them run up i don't know why he uh, it's, it's a cool effect i've seen it in other things um, that are escaping me right now, but um, I I just don't un, I don't know why he did that. It's not an effect that's used in the entire rest of the uh, movie. Mm-hmm. All right, Eric, you uh, I think you wanted to talk about the reading sequence near the end. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> um, so I believe this is like almost right before the end because he, I think he just goes back to the white room after this, like he. You know, he's been through all this stuff. People have been admonishing him, bumping into him, taking his money, and literally beating the shit out of him. And then he's, you know, finally getting some rest. And he sits down on this, like, little grassy hill. And there's this little girl there, and she's like, uh, like, can you read me a story? And he was like, oh, thank God someone's being nice to me. And, you know, and sure. And, like, and he starts reading her the story and then um you know her and she gives him some chicken yeah and then you know the mom is right there and then she's not saying anything or even acknowledging him and then she just slowly starts packing up the picnic 
Like, we're leaving now. And um, I can't... Did she, she just, like, take the book out of his hand? Yeah. As, as yeah. He, yeah, and then just kind of, like... And, and, and the starts, whole time he starts crying once she takes yeah. the book from his hands. She, he just starts pleading, like, please, just allow me this few fleeting moments of happiness. And, you know, and it's like... And, and it's not, you know... There's no easier way to a, a woman's heart than, like, being nice to her kid, you know? And it's, it's so you wouldn't expect the lady to... You know, she doesn't call him a pervert, but... You know, they already used that one, so here they're just going to have a just flat-out ignoring him. And it's just so, like... Yeah, it's surreal. It's weird. It's painful. And it's, like, this old man just pleading and crying while he's just trying to do something nice. And it's just, like... Man, I mean, to, to save that for the topper, I guess, uh, that, that beats the bikers. <laughs> so my my interpretation of that moment, um, I mean, the old man doesn't have any family that were ever shown, but my feeling is that that's meant to represent how families treat the elderly, their own elderly. Mm-hmm. Because even though within the context of the film, he's a stranger and he just shows up, the little girl treats him with a familiarity and like, here's some food, read me this book. Like she treats him like if, if that was a scene that you saw out of context, that could easily be her grandfather. And the fact that the mom doesn't acknowledge him, doesn't act like anything's weird, again, goes back to adults largely not acknowledging him and stuff, but still doesn't like freak out like that other dude did. And then when it's like, okay, time to go, we're going, we're leaving now. It seemed to me of like you know parents with their kids of like all right we spent some time with pop pop all right now we're out the door like that's that i mean it may maybe it wasn't explicit or intended that way but it came off that way to me that it was like how you know even even in those like moments of like between generations it can be just kind of like all right uh you know we've been here an hour we gotta get home You'll come back for Thanksgiving, right? Maybe. I don't know. The little girl doesn't even fight to uh, stay there or anything. She's just... Yeah. She's just like, oh, time to go, peace. Yep. And it's... Yeah. It was a very heartbreaking scene. (laughs) I, like, I... Sorry, I've got nothing on that scene other than... It was, uh, I'm glad it happened at the end of the movie. Because <laughs> if you had put that in the middle, it would have just ruined my enjoyment's a word, I guess, uh, of <laughs> the film. Uh, yeah, that, that, like, that, the build up to that, because that's all a very small moment. Like, obviously, the, the biker's beating him up. That's action packed. Yeah. Um, see, the, yeah, the weird dinner sequence, which, yeah, yeah, all of that, you know, builds on um, the strangeness and the sadness, but then the way it ends with, uh, with that little girl and just the casual abandonment of this old man who is laying there unable to move at that point from injuries, it was, it was just... It was just heartrending. The the dinner one. Um, so in a nutshell, the old man goes to like a restaurant, you know, for the amusement park, whatever. 
and he's trying to have dinner and there's a rich guy it's implied based on how he's dressed how the waiters talk to him come up to him and he gets like a lobster dinner on a platter and the old man gets like bread and beans yeah. um just looks like just a kind of a horrible slopped on a plate meal um but i was curious of, of your guys take so the 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 rich guy has white hair and he looks older he's this isn't steve martin 1975 white hair this is he's definitely like an older guy but are we supposed to think like okay that guy's like 50 or are we supposed to think that guy's around the same age as our old man but the divider is class because i couldn't tell I, I, if, I, if for me was it was supposed class, to, yeah I mean, I know, well, class is absolutely an aspect of it, but I didn't know if, if he was supposed to be seen as being young. Like, like basically, if our old man had money, which they do address money at the, the intro, but if our old man had money, he'd be sitting at that table, or if that guy, it'd be muddying it this way, but if that guy is supposed to be younger as well. I couldn't tell how old that guy was supposed to be. I think it's a class thing because... If I remember, like, um, the old man walks up in full-on really nice suit and all that, um, and he's getting really taken care of, but then our guy can get some food, but then he's, so he's better than the other old people who are sitting along the, uh, way just watching, wishing they could, and, and... Yeah. For the listeners, no, there's old people sitting there watching the food going, I wish I could eat. Like, it's everyone's watching the old man eating. And he goes up and he's able to get something. But they're also like, yeah, this guy's a little bit messed up. We don't want him to be sitting here. We don't want him to be seen. And so I think it's definitely uh, class and, I mean, class and money are a thing. But class and money separately, too, where... He is visibly of a higher class and better taken care of. And so he can be uh, helped. The other person may have some money, but not as much and does not look as classy. And then the old man gives like a free for all with the other people for his food in a very platform-esque way. (laughs) If you've seen that film, that uh, uh, horror film, horror-ish film, but just uh, have at it. Tear (laughs) into my bread. Um, all right, so one uh, one thing to throw out there, I mentioned this at the top, but the intro and the conclusion were added after the fact. Uh, it was from a reshoot, and it was the goal of it was to make the project clearer. So originally, the movie that he delivered did not have the actor walking up and talking about the elderly, talking about the issues they face, money, prestige, interactions with society, whatever. It had none of that or the closing where he talks about some of the same things and then like encourages you to get involved like locally and things like that. So it had none of that. So basically George Romero was given a task to do a PSA for a church society, the Lutherans. And they're like, Oh, we want you to do this PSA about elder abuse. And the movie started with this surreal white room sequence with two identical guys. And then the guy goes out to the fun fair and is like, you know, put through the gauntlet and comes back a broken shell of a man and credits. (laughs) That's it, Lutherans. 
So there was no there was no intro and conclusion in the right in the original cut, which is insane. Like I mean, it, it was it would still be good in the way it was, but for their purposes, yeah. I mean, they must have been like, what? What? No. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's the thing. He knew he knew it was gonna do it intended, which is make people want to treat the elderly better. Because whether or not you have context and you just see what he goes through, subconsciously you'd probably go out and just start treating old people better, even if you didn't know that this was a film that was telling you to do so. Um, but they were like, "No, we actually need you to put it in straight terms." And he's like, "Fine, I'll just <laughs> add some some." Some stupid stuff at the beginning and end. I don't understand why they needed that bit of the person telling us that. I mean, what's not to get from the end scene being the exact same scene as the first scene and the cyclical? Oh my god! This I I think I I think they're for a PSA, which I'm like PSAs aren't aren't high art. You know, they are by nature instructive. They're not trying to like entice our minds or anything it's just like it's literally like don't smoke kids and here's why uh i think it makes sense because you could interpret this film not as without those not as we need to take better care of the elderly but as this will happen like grandpa simpson it'll happen to you (laughs) like like that this is just like a horror the horrors of age um and by the end, he's just utterly broken. So, like, it, you could feel that it's just there to simply horrify you. Like, in a Twilight Zone type way. Um, go ahead. I, I was kind of joking around about about it not needing the intro. And outro. Okay. It definitely All right. did. I thought but you were I, taking that position. That's fine. No, 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 no. Um, so, last year, for some, after Cloris Leachman died... I watched the uh, TV movie she did, Someone I Touched, which was in 1975. Uh, TV movie PSA about STDs. And um, it... Does Cloris Leachman get a, get a STD in that movie? Yes. Yes, she does. <laughs> All right. Um, there's a bit of a twist. I'm not going to ruin it. All right. Anyhow. Uh, she's great in it. For all you no, no. listeners who want to look up a Cloris Leachman STD PSA, David is not going to spoil it for you. It's available on Prime. <laughs> Any... <laughs> but, no, no, no that, that's the thing. When I saw this, um, you know, can, similar time period, um, it's a PSA, although this is uh, Amusement Park's a local one. The Cloris Leachman one was nationwide. Um, How and... long is it? I think it's like an hour and 20. It was oh, like a TV oh. movie of the week. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. And it's, uh, that was, it was a good movie, but it starts off with information about STDs, goes into the movie, and then ends with a, a much shorter intro and outro, but of uh, a, and this is why we need to do, uh, this is why you need to be careful when you're out there and wear protection and, you need to uh, cooperate with the uh, contact tracing because that was apparently a thing even back then for, uh, or I'm sorry, STIs, uh, for um, uh, sexually transmitted infections where, uh, at least within this case, I think it was the CLAP. Like, 
they had to go and ask different people and try to figure out who was uh, who got it from whom. But it was like, if you get asked, be honest. If you think you may have this, contact these numbers so that we can start uh, the process. So the intro, outro are a thing that happens usually. It's just usually not as... It's just not as necessary, I think, as it was for amusement park. Like, amusement sure. park is the, like, the Cloris Leachman one was a very good movie, but it wasn't, I would say this one's more artful. It tries to do more. It's in less time. Yeah. All right. Anything else we want to put out there on the amusement park? Honestly, after watching this movie... Like, me and my friends left, and, and we were kind of sad about it. And then, um, and I very much, like, uh, I took a breath and went, you know, my mom is 70, like, she turned 78 in a month. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm so, this movie made me go, I'm so happy that she's staying with my uh, eldest brother um, up in upstate New York. Like, I certainly don't have uh, the funds to, or the space to, uh, you know, put her up. But yeah. also seeing this, I'm like, good Lord, uh, you know, there's people, there's people who don't have family that, uh, and my mom's doing well, like, she it just, she's 78, like, she's old. Yeah. Um, and this movie very much, like, I called her the next day. I didn't mention why I called. I just called because I was calling to be a nice little son. But I called, like, and deep down inside, I'm just like, love you. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, if you've got someone in your life who is aging, like, in, uh, who, who's getting up there in years, this is a rough movie to see. Call your parents. That's what defeat says. <laughs> Call your parents. They want to hear from you. God. <laughs> Eric? Um, I mean, my dad is 78, and I uh, didn't feel that way after watching. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're definitely right about I, that. I haven't called my dad in six months. Ah. <laughs> uh. No, you're absolutely right. It does, it does, if you have, um, and I, I also can thankfully say that my parents are in a, a good situation, you know. Yeah, they're, they're with near, your brother as well, right? They they moved into, a, like, a small, manageable oh, house. Near, like, nearby, yeah. Right, yeah, literally, like, less than a mile walk from my brother's nice. house. So they get, you know, the nephews come over, and, you know, it's, it's nice, so they get uh, attention and... Are, are doing pretty well so but yeah it it really and, I, and that's the thing like i don't know like you know this was 73 uh i don't know if any of these problems are like worse or better today um because it seems like you know elder care is still a pretty fucked up thing in a lot of places and you know people are are getting life expectancy goes up so like it's it's not a thing that's it's not a problem that's gonna go away and uh it does make you think a lot of, a lot of that stuff uh yeah just throw out here a quick correction there um it's it was shot in 73 released in 75 just uh not a big deal but just in case anyone's trying to 
track any of this down or figure it out after the fact. But uh, yeah, so shot in 73. Um, all right. So would we recommend the amusement park? Uh, I would as like, you know, if I was very pleased as a lost movie kind of hidden gem that it turned out to be. Because I really didn't have a lot of expectations going in, especially I think I did kind of know what it was supposed to be before I watched it. And that kind of made me think like, oh, it's not really a movie. It's just kind of like a kind of weird thing that he did. But it ended up being like, oh, well, that's actually pretty cool. Um, So anyone who's like into especially Romero stuff or any kind of horror, it's it's a pretty cool thing that they dug up from the past that I'm glad didn't just stay lost. Um, One thing real quick before the uh, other. In the piece I got to see after in the theater, uh, I did find it interesting that uh, Romero's wife mentioned that part of the reason why they didn't have a copy was because he considered this a lowbrow work for hire. And he did not find this movie important. And so he uh, basically gave it to them, gave them all of it, like didn't keep any of it for himself, and was just like, well, got my paycheck on that. And I guess this is uh, one of, if not the only, like work for hire work he did. Yeah, that's what uh, I said. Yeah, and she went on about how, you know, she didn't, he didn't hate the experience, he just didn't, like, he wasn't as invested in it. And um, knowing that, you know, seeing the movie, and I'm just like, good lord, I, I mean, I, I, I have seen Land of the Dead, and he should have been a lot prouder of this than Land of the Dead. <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 hang on, Land of the Dead is fun. The next two were terrible. <laughs> Diary of the Dead, and Oof. particularly Survival of the Dead. Those were not the ones to go out on. <laughs> Land of the Dead escalates things from day, and it's a fun movie. But I agree with you in, in context that he def- this is definitely better than some of the stuff he did. Uh, yeah. I watched The Crazies a few years ago, and I was like, and I know it's a, David's going to like act like The Crazies is some kind of fucking masterpiece and act like Land of the Dead's dog shit. I watched The Crazies like, I don't see anything really valuable in this as much as I love the Dead series. I was like, I don't care. I think this is better than the crazies. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to kick you in the shins next time I see you, <laughs> but I might. But uh, uh, this movie, I I would recommend it. I have recommended it, but um, I always recommend it with the caveat of, you know, it's it's worth watching. It's good. You're gonna be sad afterwards. Like I, I, I feel like I have to tell people. Like I don't want to ruin it for them. I just do want you know. You after dawn or day or night of or the crazies, you're gonna. Those are enjoyable horror movies where at the end there's a bit of a, a social commentary undertone that you might think about. And then there's this, where, no, you're going to walk into this movie, and if you have a heart at all, you're going to walk out of it going, oh, ow. So, uh, I, I 
highly recommend it. It looks really cool. Like, some of the shots are amazing. Uh, it's interesting what he did with a tiny budget in a tiny town. But it's going to make you want to cry. <laughs> uh, yeah, for myself, uh, I would recommend it. I think it's interesting. I think, if nothing else, it's an interesting experiment. As David said, uh, it's his only work for hire. I'm a little surprised that he apparently didn't think much of it. Um, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't think it's like his best work. But as I said, I, I think it's better than The Crazies. I also watched Martin some years ago and didn't really give a shit about Martin. So uh, I would probably put it above Martin. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put it with like the, the key four dead films. Um, you know, Creepshow is a lot of fun. Creepshow 2 is not as fun, but still good. And same with Tales from the Dark Side. Um, but uh, I would definitely put it over the Night of the Living Dead remake from the 90s. <laughs> Uh, that, that's for sure, and he was involved in that. Oh, I forgot uh, about that. It's not good. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I, I liked it. Um, it's uh, it's very interesting. Like I said, it's, it's Lynchian, and his stuff was not normally that. He would have social commentary in his movies, the dead films being the most prominent examples, but they weren't dreamlike, they weren't surreal or absurd. So I knew nothing going into this. So for all I knew, even though I knew it was like about elder abuse, and I only knew that I think because you had mentioned it, David, in a conversation earlier. Uh, otherwise I would have gone totally cold. But even knowing it was about elder abuse, it could have just as easily been like totally stark reality. It could have been basically the sequences in uh, Clockwork Orange, like it could have been set in some kind of, you know, dark place, but then played out like, oh, and these roving gangs are abusing the elderly. Like it could have just taken itself like absolutely seriously, no dream imagery or anything, which most of his stuff did. I mean, in the, the zombie movies, it's just, oh, zombies are here. Now we go. There's no, you know, uncertainty of what's happening, if what's real, what's not. So, if nothing else, it show it's an interesting way in his approach to it. I, as someone mentioned, this wasn't his script, but he likely would have had at least some control over it and could have like altered some things. But uh, yeah, if nothing else, I think it's an interesting experiment. It's seeing him do something outside of some of his regular modes and then seeing his regular modes of horror being put into a different context. At the end of the day, it's a PSA, it's being instructive, it's not trying to do the things a normal feature film does, but I don't think it's meritless or without value. I don't feel like it comes off as like, yeah, he didn't give a shit about this, or cheaply done. I mean, it didn't have a huge budget, but it doesn't feel like it's just thrown together, you know, without any care. So, um... I think it's a good find. I'm glad it was unearthed and that it's out there for everyone now. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend this. Um, as David said and Eric said, it's it's going to be rough to uh, watch it, particularly if you, you know, maybe have lost someone or they're older or you just have a soul. Um, it's, you know, it's going to be uh, some of these parts i mean you you may cry watching certain sections of this it's not uh, it's not outside the realm of possibility but that said uh i think if you are a horror junkie if you're a fan of romero um or if you just like 
interesting offbeat films, and you better if you're listening to this podcast, then uh, yeah, you should track down the amusement park, which uh, leads me to can I find this? So this is not currently on DVD or Blu-ray. I don't know if it will eventually get one or not. I could see this maybe being part of some Romero box set in the future or something. Um, they could maybe a Shout Factory or Scream Factory or something does a Blu-ray. Um, it's a short length, but sometimes, you know, movies have, have, of a similar short length have been released. And maybe with like special things or again, combine it with maybe some other things he did. Um, Shudder, from what I saw, does have the exclusive streaming rights for this. So they uh, purchased the rights for that. So I believe that it's the only place to like legally see it. It might be out there on some other, you know, uh, like somebody uploaded or something. I didn't really look, but it is on Shutter. So if you, uh, only six bucks. So uh, get Shutter during the month of October or something and uh, watch the amusement park. But one interesting thing I saw while doing some research for this is this might not actually be the final Lost Romero film um, or Lost Romero, um, you know, uh, apocrypha, I guess. So he, uh, well, the bad one first, and then, then the good one. So there is a book out. This uh, came out in September called Living Dead. And it is a novel that was a bunch of just kind of like, there'd be stray notes, and then he would write chapters. And he was, from what I read up about it, he basically was like writing a lot of stuff that they would never give him a budget for. And so he was like trying to make kind of like a big conclusion to the Dead series. And from what I saw, he didn't actually consider Diary or um, Survival to be truly parts uh, part of the Dead series, which I agree. Um, but yeah, he, he, I guess, saw that as like offshoots and not part of the first four because the first four do – kind of have a trajectory and they continue the world and then diary of the dead actually starts everything over and acts like the dead are rising again so if you even want to technically make it part of it it has to be happening at the same time as night of the living dead which gets weird especially since um you know they're like four four forty years apart and uh you know the everything's all off in terms of time and everything but anyway, he apparently did not consider those part of it, and he had like notes and stuff, and he was working on it, but he was ill eventually and was going to die, and he brought in a writer who I guess worked on The Shape of Water and a couple other things, I think with Del Toro, and so that intrigued me, and so then this guy had to like kind of cobble together what Romero had and make it into something and add his own stuff. And so that got released last month, and I was very intrigued, and I was like, oh, okay, I might check that out. And then I saw that the reviews were, like, not good. I mean, I'm not saying that that's, like, the end-all, be-all, but it was, like, a lot of them were, like, laying into it, horror fans and stuff. Now, granted, some of those reviews were like, this is a bunch of woke bullshit. And it's like, well, if you're reading something from George Romero and you don't know his <laughs> politics, I'm sorry, <laughs> sir. But uh, but not all of them were like that. Some of them were just saying that it just wasn't particularly well done. Um, so I was like 
considering buying it and then i saw that but then i also saw that it was 700 pages and i was like i don't think we need that much george i think i think a good 350 is probably solid for uh for this uh zombie outing but anyway so if you're interested in more romero stuff that's out there maybe it is good i don't know but the one that did intrigue me more is apparently romero has had you know a version before he died of a script for Twilight of the Dead. And Twilight of the Dead, I remember, was the title for Land of the Dead, like, before Land was even on the map. Like, in the 90s and stuff, he had talked about wanting to close the Dead series, and that was the title that was being put out, was Twilight of the Dead. Eventually, Land of the Dead came out, and I just assumed, oh, he just changed the title, and that's the thing. But I guess he did want to kind of conclude the series... And he worked on Twilight of the Dead, and his wife has now had a couple other writers like look at it, rework some stuff, and she's apparently trying to like get some director involved to make this happen. So I don't know how that connects with this Living Dead novel. I don't know if it's going to cover some of the same territory. I don't know if it's a completely different project, and he did like the script as one kind of ending, and he did the living dead novel is like a different kind of thing. I did see a comment from her of like, she said it kind of got kickstarted because she asked what happens to the zombies after the kind of smart zombie leads them off at the end of land. So sort of like what, where does that go? And so apparently twilight of the dead would delve into that to some degree. So I'm curious I would hope it's I mean, after survival and diary. I'm not like I'm not under any illusions here, but if other people like worked on the script, maybe made it a little stronger, and maybe if you got a really good director behind it, maybe you could close out the dead series with something really good. I don't know. David, any thoughts on this? Have you heard about any of these? Uh, heard about it. Intrigued. Um, if it happens, I will happily uh, go see the movie. Um, my stack of books to read is way too high, though. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, when I saw that it was not being particularly embraced and was twice the length of what I thought it probably needed, I was like, <laughs> ah, I'm good. Um, yeah. Okay, so that does it for the amusement park for us. And uh, one other little bit here. So we actually have a bonus Halloween episode I'm throwing out here. Last year, we did five Halloween episodes. And um, this year, there are a handful that I wanted to uh, look at and to just, you know, hit the ones I wanted to do. It ended up being six. And I was like, oh, we could just do two for the final week. So if you are listening to this uh, when we normally release these, like Wednesday, Thursday, there will be another episode following in the next couple days. We are going to look at Over the Garden Wall. That is the modern classic animated series that was on uh, Cartoon Network. And it was, I think, uh, 10 episodes plus like a, um, like a pilot episode. Has a great cast. Elijah Wood, Christopher Lloyd, Tim Curry... Uh, John Cleese and a bunch of other people and it's this very whimsical Halloween-y kind of thing with characters uh, walking around a kind of fantasy land so uh, I love it and uh, Eric you have seen it or no 
No. Okay, so Eric's going into it cold. Um, our friend Jess is going into it cold, and I expect her to be all about it. And then our friend Jack, who has been on many of our episodes, she loves it as well. So it'll be uh, two of us having seen it, two of us totally new. So we're going to be watching Over the Garden Wall, and that will close out our Halloween viewing for this season. So see us then.